Well, good morning, Grace. We're really glad that you're here as we're working our way through uh, this journey of 2 Corinthians. Before I get into it, uh, I want to announce uh, coming up November the 3rd is our next baptism celebration. And if you have made a, a faith commitment to Jesus as your Lord and Savior but have not followed through with this step, we would encourage you uh, to do that. There's a place on your connection card to let us know if you're ready for that step or if you just uh, have questions about it, we can get back to you with all the information you need uh, to make an informed decision on that next spiritual step for you. So November the 3rd is that next opportunity for baptism celebration. So anyway, 2 Corinthians, how are you doing? What are you thinking? Uh, how are you thinking? Are you thinking about your thinking? This is what we're talking about today, your thoughts and giving thought to your thoughts. I don't know if you're like me, uh, but my wife will ask me every once in a while, what are you thinking? And for the life of me, I, I, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it. Um, the thing is, you're always thinking, but you're not always thinking about what you're thinking. My thoughts are all over the place. Sometimes I can't keep track uh, of my thoughts. According to the National Science Foundation, you have as many as 60,000 thoughts a day. I know you're sitting next to somebody that has nearly those many thoughts. But anyway, uh, most of those thoughts, the studies say that most of those, the majority of those thoughts are negative. That's an issue in itself. Uh, and 90, as much as 95% of those thoughts are repetitive, uh, meaning that what you think today, the thought patterns of your life today, aren't all that different from what you thought uh, yesterday. All of us have, uh, have developed patterns of thought, patterns of thinking, that play over and over and over in our minds. And here's the deal, friends. That pattern of thinking influences us. It has shaped us. Uh, it has molded our attitudes uh, and directs our behaviors. The Bible has a lot to say about our thoughts. Proverbs 23, 7 in the King James Version says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And you are, you are what you think. What do you give your mind to? Thoughts of anger or depression or jealousy or joy or gratitude, whatever, pride, whatever it is, you are what you think. And what's more, you are where you are because of what you think. Where you are in life right now, where you are, uh, you are where you are because of what you think. The quality of your life, in other words, is rooted in the thoughts of your life, your relationships, your career success, your spiritual maturity, your emotional well-being. Uh, it's all rooted in the way that you process, the way that you think, the thought patterns that drive your life. You've heard it said a lot of times, life is 10% of what happens to you, 90% of how you handle it. In other words, how you think through that. You are where you are because of what you think. You see this in the, in the two different ways that people uh, handle similar circumstances. We all go through at times things like financial meltdown or relational breakdown grief, temptation, whatever it is. Why is this person surviving, even thriving because of this? Why is this person crumbling? Similar circumstance. But friends, the thinking is far different. Uh, the choice between forgiveness or bitterness, the ability to stand firm or the tendency to compromise, how in our thinking we handle criticism and conflict, how we navigate failure and disappointment. One's, one person's failure can develop them while another person's failure destroys them. Why does tragedy and loss cause one person to cling closer to God and cause another person to reject God? Friends, it's not in the circumstance. It's in the mind. It's in the thinking. I want to submit to you, we're always asking God to change our circumstance. When a better prayer might be, 
to change our minds. We don't need, we live in a broken world, friends. It's not going to get any better this side of heaven. But God has promised us a better mind. This is what we're talking about in 2 Corinthians. Grab your Bible or bring up your device in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're just going to look at three uh, verses uh, this morning, but they are powerful verses. The, the Bible has a lot to say about our thinking, and these three verses in 2 Corinthians 10 are probably the most concentrated and the most significant teaching on our thinking that we find in the New Testament. So let me begin by, uh, with verse 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, in the physical, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Paul is talking here about spiritual warfare uh, from the From the beginning, Genesis to Revelation, the Bible talks about us being human beings locked in a battle between God and what Paul calls in Ephesians 6, the principalities, the rulers, the powers of this present darkness. Friends, we are living on the earth in, in a present darkness. There is a physical realm that we're very familiar with where Jesus called Satan the prince of this world. Uh, the prince of darkness, he says. But there is also a spiritual realm intersecting our physical existence, an unseen realm that is operating in our lives as well. And so Satan and God, they're not equal, but they are battling out. Satan's mission in this world is to deceive us, to destroy us, to pull us away from the God uh, that we know and love, the God who loves us to deceive and destroy. Earlier in this letter, uh, 2 Corinthians, he said that the God of this age, Satan, uh, blinds the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel. Uh, His strategy is to blind us to the gospel, to the good news of God. And so Jesus' mission, as we read in Colossians 1, Jesus came uh, to to, uh, restore sight uh, to, uh, to open the eyes of the blind and deliver us from the dominion of darkness and transfer us into the kingdom of light. And so you and I, we encounter this every day. We encounter physical evil every day. But Paul is saying to us here in this passage, beneath that physical struggle, beyond the earthly realm that we see, there is a cosmic battle that we do not see, but that filters down into our lives, the spiritual forces between good and evil that affects us in our daily existence. He goes on, verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy, destroy strongholds. Strongholds is the key uh, word in this passage. Everybody say stronghold. Our weapons are not earthly uh, weapons. They are not physical weapons. We are not fighting in an earthly way. We, uh, we are in, involved in a spiritual combat. We have divine weapons. And uh, verse 5 tells us what those weapons do. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Arguments and lofty opinions. What's he, what's he talking about? Well, we could go all the way back to the beginning again, to, to Genesis, to the Garden of Eden. Uh, the story goes, Satan came up to Eve and said to Eve two things. Did God really say, and you will not surely die? Those are the two things that he said to Eve. Uh, deception, he lied to her that you will not surely die, and doubt. Did God really say that? And friends, he's been, he, Satan for all these years has, has never changed his tactics, okay? He's doing to us what he did to Adam and Eve. Did God really say that? Can you really trust him? You will not surely die. He's lying to you. And so all of those things, friends, uh, 
those deceptions and those, those, those thoughts of the mind that all starts in the mind, weapons, warfare, strongholds, what, what is a stronghold? Well, I th- the, the best way to think of this, I mean, picture, uh, if you will, and you, some of you have seen this actually physically. You've gone to Europe and other places where you've seen, you know, castles with these strong two feet thick walls, you know, surrounding, you know, a village or a home, you know, and maybe they've got a moat with alligators and dragons and all that kind of stuff protecting everything that's inside. You know, uh, picture, picture a strong stone tower that's rising up above. You know, the Bible tells us that God is a strong tower in which we can run in and be safe. That's a good thing. But what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians is not a good thing. This, this is a strong tower uh, that's, that's keeping God out. It's actually housing uh, the enemy. Uh, spiritually speaking, I'll put a definition of stronghold on the screen for you. A stronghold is an entrenched pattern of thinking that resists the word of God and the will of God. A pattern of thinking, right? You don't just think it once, but you have thought it over and over and over again until that pattern of thinking is really kind of your default mode of thinking. You just keep going back to that same pattern of thought. You've considered a thought, now you've contemplated that thought, and it has led you to be consumed by that thought, and now that is the pattern of thinking that is a part of you. You are what you think, and it has gotten you to where you are. You are where you are because of the pattern of thinking you've given your life to. Satan's strategy is to, des- is to destroy you by starting in your mind, tempting you to develop patterns of thought that turn into a fortress that resists that keeps out the goodness of God, the truth of God, the purpose of God, the will of God in your life, uh, resisting anything to do with God. And it all starts in your mind. Now, let me say this before we go any further, because a lot of people have asked me this throughout the years, and let me just clarify, friends. Satan cannot read your thoughts. Don't get spooked by that. You uh, You just need to pay attention to that. God cannot read your thoughts. He can tempt your thoughts. He doesn't know your mind, but he knows you. And so he knows where your weaknesses are. And so he can, he can tempt you with thoughts that you entertain and then you contemplate and that you give your life to and that, that develop these kinds of fortresses, these strongholds in your life. Strongholds can be a worldview. It can be a, a particular way that you see or understand God. The Bible says that Satan blinds us to the gospel So maybe you were one of those people, maybe you know one of those people who just seem to, they always throw up some kind of an argument, some kind of an excuse. There's always a reason why God is not real and the Bible cannot be true. They're just not receptive to any evidence of the faith. This is a stronghold, this is a worldview stronghold that resists anything to do with God. A stronghold can be a worldview. A stronghold can be a relational issue. Have you ever had a broken down relationship, a a relational meltdown, and you are now consumed with anger and bitterness and resentment, and you you can't let this thing, you're thinking about this all the time. You're just consumed about the conversations that you've had, the conversations you wish you would have had, the things you should have said, the things you would have said, the things you'd want to say, and you're just, this can be a stronghold in your life. It It is sucking the life and the joy out of your life. Strongholds can be emotional issues, fear worry, insecurity, anxiety, and you're just, you're just being consumed with these, emo- if you've ever asked yourself, why can't I stop thinking about this? Anybody here? Why am I always going to this particular pattern of thought? 
Why am I consumed with this? Friends, you're dealing with a stronghold. And it's robbing you of life. It's robbing you of joy. It's robbing you of the good purpose of God in your life. So the question is, why can't I change my mind, right? Why is it so hard to change your thinking? And Paul talks to us about that in this, in this passage. He gives us three principles concerning spiritual warfare. Here's the first one. One, my battle is not physical. Though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war in the flesh. 32 times in the New Testament, Paul uses the word walk uh, to describe our relationship with Jesus. We, we are walking with Jesus. We are following Jesus in a walk. Galatians 5, walk in the spirit. Ephesians 4, walk worthy of the calling. We live and operate in the physical realm. We are walking with Jesus. And Now, here's the thing. If we could fight physically, I know some of you can fight, and you would know what to do. But friends, this is not a physical fight. This is spiritual warfare. Although we exist in the physical realm, we are material people living in a material world. Somebody sang about that once. But we are much more than physical, right? In fact, we are far more than physical. You have a spirit that is actually eternal. And so the Bible would tell us that we are far more spiritual than we are physical. We just give more attention to the physical, than the spirit. We are not human beings, physical beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a physical experience on this earth that's temporary. So friends, your battle is not physical. Secondly, your weapons are not physical. They are not worldly. Now, having read this passage, it's a bit frustrating because Paul tells us uh, what our weapons do, but he doesn't tell us what our weapons are in this passage. So we have to go elsewhere in the scriptures to find them. Here are three of them. Let me give them to you. One, the first one is truth. Truth. Again, Satan's major attack on us is deception and doubt. Jesus said he's a liar. He's the father of lies. And so our major defense is truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life, the living Jesus. Every time Satan tempted Jesus with doubt and deception, Jesus countered with the word of God. Jesus, the living word, quoted the written word to prevent any stronghold from developing in his mind. You might want to write that down. Jesus, the living word, quoted the written word to prevent any stronghold from developing in his mind. Friends, thoughts are words, and words have power. And the word of God tells you that you are a child of God that you are a new creation in Christ, that you are the righteousness of God in Christ, that you are a masterpiece of God in Christ to do good things. His divine power has given you everything you need, that the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. That, now, I've, I've never been in the military, but I, I do know that they spend a lot of time getting familiar with their weapon. They would not be effective if they did not know their weapon Believer, follower of Jesus, do you know your weapon? Do you know how to use your weapon? Read it, study it, memorize it, share it, apply it, journal it. Go to small group and discuss it. If you, don't, if you do not have the weapon of truth hidden in your heart, then the weapon of lies will infiltrate your mind. You will have no defense against it. So truth is your very first weapon. The second one is prayer. You have prayer. James 5.16 says the prayers, now it does qualify this, the prayers of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Any righteous people in, in the room? 
Now, see, here, this is another deception that Satan throws at us. Friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've given your life to Jesus, you have the righteousness of Christ. You, have the, you are robed in the righteousness of God. You have every right, you have every privilege, you have every opportunity to go to the throne of grace 24-7. The prayers of a righteous person, friends, that's you if you are in Christ. There is no reason for you to doubt that. That is not a lie. The truth is that the blood of Jesus Christ is your robe of righteousness. And so you have prayer as a weapon. Here's the third weapon, faith. 1 John 5 says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? It's one who believes that Jesus is the son of the living God. Faith is believing what God says about Jesus. It is also believing what God says about you. It's also believing what God says about you. Do you believe what God says about you? Do you believe the evidence that supports what he says? This is truth, friends. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all so that nothing could separate us from his love. The cross of Jesus is evidence of the promise that he will never leave you nor forsake you. You are his. It doesn't matter what the world thinks of you. It doesn't matter what the world says of you. It doesn't matter what your mind says about you. I I say this all the time. You've got to stop listening to yourself. And you've got to start talking to yourself and reminding yourself of what's true about Jesus. Jesus did for you what you could not do for yourselves. Friends, you cannot You cannot afford to entertain thoughts about you that God does not have of you. I think I need to say that again. You cannot afford to have thoughts of you, about you, that God does not have of you. You've got to align your thinking with the thinking of God. Every time that you listen to the wrong voice, every time you give in to the lie, you're adding one more stone to that tower. And every time you embrace the truth, every time you talk to God, every time you believe what he says, you are dismantling this prison that has you bound resistant to the love of God and the purpose of God. We'll talk about that in a moment. Here's the third principle. My strongholds are not easily destroyable. Paul is honest with us. My strongholds are not easily, as is evidenced by the decades of struggle that we find in this room. I mean, if we could talk to one another about the patterns of thought that have us in prison, I mean, it's, it's easier for us to change jobs than it is to change our thinking. It's easier for us to change relationships than it is to change our thinking. It's easier to change our neighborhood and our small group and even our church than it is to change our thinking. The problem is, Wherever you go, there you are. Same scenery, excuse me, new scenery, same thinking. New people, same problems. New surroundings, same struggle. You You can have a big old long playlist of country songs. He's still going to lose his job and his girl and his dog and his truck. And his... How many different ways can you sing it? Friends, you don't need a better circumstance. You need a better mind. Proverbs 21 says, 
one who is wise can go up against the city of the mighty and pull down what? The stronghold in which they, friends, stronghold, the reason why strongholds are so difficult to destroy is because of the misplaced trust in our thinking. Why is it so hard to change our thinking? Well, I'll tell you, because your thinking makes sense to you. Doesn't make sense to anybody else, but it makes sense to you. You've grown accustomed to your thinking. You've been thinking this way for years, decades. You're comfortable in your thinking, and you've never questioned your thinking. You've always assumed that your thinking was right. You've lived with this thinking for years. You don't think about your thinking. You just trust that your thinking is... You don't, you don't really think about the, the possibility that your thinking might be deeply flawed. I mean, seriously, when was the last time you did a searching and fearless moral inventory of your thinking? Is this what I think? And why do I think this? Why do I think this way? Is my thinking flawed? Is it in line with truth? Have you ever wondered that about yourself? I know you've wondered that about other people, but have you ever taken time to examine your own thinking and ask that of yourself? Uh, we don't readily acknowledge our thinking might be broken. Let me give you three reasons. Uh, why your thinking is broken. And friends, we're sinners, so we're all broken. Here's the, because you're broken. You have a personality that's broken. Okay? We're, we're, we're all, we call it a disposition. Um, and uh, some of us, uh, we all have, we're, it's wired into us. It's part of our DNA. We just have a, we have a particular way of looking at life and thinking about life and processing life. Some of you are, are, are half-glass empty people, Right? Some of you are half glass, full people. You just have a way of looking at life. And you know what happens when a half empty glass meets a half full glass? They get married, let the games begin. You know, and you just, it, contrary to popular opinion, you do not have a perfect mind. Your thinking is not always right. And you are not omniscient. You don't know everything, you don't see everything. And even the things that you see, you don't see them from every perspective. And your thinking reflects that deficiency, but we don't always think about that kind of thinking. You have, you, have a, you have a broken personality. Secondly, you have a broken family. Every one of us, we call this family of origin issues. You have a family culture in which you were raised that affected the way that you think. I mean, have you ever in your adult life come across a person where you think, oh, don't quite get that. Why, why do they do that? Why do they say that? Why, why do they think that? And then you meet their family all questions are answered, right? I mean, I don't care how awesome your family is. All of us come from broken families that have systems that have shaped our broken thinking. And you add to that your own personal story, your personal influences and experiences, the circumstances that you've had to deal with and the choices you made in those circumstances that affected the way you relate to God and relate to others and see yourself and see life. Friends, here's the deal. All of our stories, all of our stories are the same. Sure, the names and the places have, have been changed, but all of our stories are the same. I understand that um, you can now watch Hallmark Christmas movies on TV. It's the middle of October, goodness sake. 300 different movies about a stranger who moves into town with a past no one knows about. <laughs> and they fall in love with a girl who's so deserving of love, but for some reason can never find love. 
and they throw a snowball at each other, they go inside, bake cookies, and everybody lives happily ever after. <laughs> Friends, how, how many times can you tell that story? I want to tell you about your story, because your story is my story. In every story, the reason why we have fortresses, strongholds in our minds, is because of two things, and you might want to write this down. We have, it all comes down to unremoved sin and unresolved hurt. Unremoved sin and, unremo and unresolved hurt. There is something in your life that you continue to toy with, you refuse to repent of, and it's created a stronghold in your mind that is resisting the purpose of God, the goodness of God, the plan of God. You refuse to remove the sin in your life. And the second thing is, an, is a hurt Maybe something, you, you didn't do it, but somebody did it, and you have a hurt now that you think that you have buried where no one can see it, but it keeps bubbling up into your relationships and into your attitude, and you have, you have, what you have done is you have protected it in this tower of denial, justification, excuse, blame, whatever it is, you've walled, you've walled it off from the purposes of God in your life, and it's affecting your life and your relationships, your, your your level of joy and faithfulness to God is creating arguments and lofty opinions. Friends, this is nothing but pride. This is nothing but saying, I know better than God. I can do better than God. It's not all that bad. There's a perfectly good reason. Somebody else is to blame. Friends, those are all stones in the stronghold of your mind that's resisting the word of God and the will of God in your life. And we take all of that unremoved sin and all of that unresolved hurt and we hide them and disguise them and rationalize them and medicate them and excuse them and ignore them. And we put them in a fortified tower that protects our self-deception and our self-loathing and our self-righteousness and our self-centeredness. And what happens at any time without warning and without preparation, our enemy stoops over that wall and attacks us and wounds us, deceives us and destroys us. How do we tear down that stronghold? Well, Paul tells us very simply in this passage, we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Say that with me. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. Say it again. We take every thought captive to obey Christ. This is the way Jesus said it in the Gospels, John 8, 32. The truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Friends, strongholds are entrenched patterns of thought that resist the word and the will of God in your life. We are broken. We have broken thinkers. Our thinkers are deceptive and distorted and destructive. You cannot believe everything you think. You have to examine what you think because your thinker is broken. That's why we have things in the scriptures that say this, set your minds, Colossians 3, set your minds on things that are above. Think about heaven... Follower of Jesus, your life is hidden and protected and shielded in Christ. You have to give your mind to the mind of Christ. You have died and you've been crucified with Christ. You have the spirit of Christ. You have the power of Christ. You have the mind of Christ. You have the life of Christ in you. Friends, you will never eliminate a thought from your life through willpower. This, you cannot do this. I'm not going to think about this. I'm not going to think about this. I'm not going to think. What are you doing? You're thinking about this. This, this is recovery 101, by the way. You cannot eliminate a thought. You have to replace a thought. 
You cannot eliminate a habit. You have to create a new habit in its place. And this is exactly what Paul is telling. The only way that you can dismantle the fortress in your mind is to create the stronghold of Jesus and his truth. Truth, prayer, faith. The power to resist the thinking is the word of God. The truth will set you free. The best way to defeat the thoughts in your mind is to choose the thoughts for your mind. Stop listening to yourself. Preach the gospel to yourself every morning. You need to read it. You need to study it. You need to memorize it. You need to medicate on it, meditate on it. You need to journal it. You need to go to a small group and discuss it. You need to apply it. You need to share it with it. Friends, I don't, I don't know how else to say it. There's only one antidote to the fortress in your mind. And it's the word of God. It's the truth of God. Psalm 19 says, the law of the Lord is perfect. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. The precepts of the Lord are right. The commands of the Lord are radiant. The fear of the Lord is pure. The decrees of the Lord are firm. They are, much, they are more precious than gold, they're much, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned. In keeping them is great reward. In keeping the, tr- friends, this is so fundamental and foundational to living the abundant life Jesus wants you to have. The reason you're not gaining victory in your thought life is because you're allowing the wrong thoughts into your life. His word is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. You were born again to a living and ab- in a living and abiding word of God. When you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins. You are the temple of God with the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Whatever is true and honorable and noble, you need to be thinking about these things. If anyone sins, you have an advocate with the Father. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. The truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. <laughs> Romans chapter 12. In view of God's mercy, don't copy the behavior, the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by what? Say it with me. Changing the way you think. Changing the way you think. Friends, a changed mind. Come, excuse me, a changed life comes from a changed mind. Romans 12 begins with this phrase, in view of God's mercy. Now this is a, this is a very weighted phrase, in view of God's mercy, because what he has done here in that phrase is summarized, the, very, the first 11 chapters of Romans is summarized in this phrase, in view of God's mercy. Friends, Jesus has done for you what you could not do for yourself. You are broken, and that brokenness has darkened your thinking, has blinded you to the gospel, and has separated you from God. But because of Christ, Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There is no condemnation for you. You have been cleansed and washed and redeemed. You have been restored and renewed and healed. You now have the righteousness of Christ covering you. You are a new creation in Christ, with the mind of Christ and the spirit of Christ and the life of Christ in you friends a changed life comes from a changed mind so how do you do this truth prayer faith the power to resist your own thinking the power to transform transform your own thinking to set your mind on truth to renew your mind on jesus to and friends when you do that the walls of your stronghold will come tumbling down I guarantee it. But you need to give your mind to the mind of Jesus. Ushers, we're ready for communion. And as we move into this time of remembering what Jesus has done for us, I want to read a passage of scripture from Ephesians chapter 4, where Paul gives us a related teaching. He says, "Now, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. In other words, in the hopelessness 
of their thinking. Your own thinking will never get you out of the hole that you're in. Your own thinking will never save you and redeem you. And so he goes on. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. In other words, they are blinded to the gospel. They have fallen victim to their own strongholds. But that is not the way that you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, you have been renewed in the spirit of your mind. You have been given a new mind through the sacrifice of Jesus. Would you think about that as we celebrate communion? Pray with me if you will. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the power that is ours through your mind implanted in ours and father we pray for everyone in this room and for the strongholds that we have created through our disobedience through our ignorance through our sin and we pray father that the power of your spirit by the transformation of our minds would dismantle that prison that has held us bondage has has separated us from the life that you have for us in jesus and we so celebrate these moments that remind us of what you've done for us in order for that to happen Guide our thoughts, Father, in this time of communion. In Jesus' name we pray.